Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our series, Body of Work. We're wrapping it up tonight. We've been thinking over these past weeks about how God uses the different gifts that he gives us. Some gifts that show up in all of our lives. Sometimes they show up in special ways in the lives of different individuals as he calls us. But how each of us has these gifts and how he enables us to go and to serve him through them. And how, as he brings us together as the church, he uses all those gifts in conjunction to make us effective to doing his work in this world. We have one more gift to look at, and I believe as we look at this gift, we're going to see how this gift really serves as the cornerstone, a piece that should show up everywhere, even though certain people will have perhaps an additional abundance of it in their lives, but one that, that ties in all the other gifts and, and what empowers us to go do the work that Jesus has called us to do. And that is the gift of mercy. Think about mercy and where mercy shows up in our lives, where mercy shows up in our relationship to God. And the answer is everywhere. Mercy is something that we're dependent on every single day. God didn't have mercy on us. If he didn't want to offer us mercy in our need, we wouldn't even breathe. I'm reminded of that famous courtroom scene in The Merchant of Venice. The, the one main character, Portia, she's disguised herself as a lawyer and is making this argument to Shylock as he's arguing for the life of the man who owes him money. And Portia has this beautiful speech about how the quality of mercy is not strained and it should be pouring down as refreshing rain from heaven and so on and so forth. And she comes to this point. She says that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. And there in that speech, you see Shakespeare at his theological finest coming right to the point of where all of us are. We all want justice, and justice is a beautiful thing. We talked about justice somewhat last night, thinking about Jonah and his view of the Ninevites. We want justice in our lives, and we know that God is just. And yet, when we actually come and confront our own sin, our own problems, our own needs, what do we realize we need? We need mercy. And so it is that Portia makes this argument, this beautiful speech about mercy and the need for it and how justice in and of itself detached from mercy will get us only condemnation. And Paul, as he goes through this list of gifts, he concludes with mercy. I don't think that's a mistake. I think it's for the same reason that Portia centers her argument on that. It's because we all need it. We all desperately need it. And, and here we're going to see as we go through this tonight that Paul does seem to have in mind primarily the sorts of mercy that lead to, to practical helps, actually dealing with the various physical needs that someone might have. And yet, and yet in that we are living out the mercy that God shows us in a whole, complete, full, lifelong way. That's what we're talking about. 
And that's why, again, this may be a gift some people have an extra capacity for, but it's really talking about everything else we've been looking at and how it comes out in our lives. Because if we see other people as people who are objects of mercy and see ourselves as objects of mercy, then whether we're gifted to teach or contribute or to serve in, in any number of ways, whatever we might be gifted to do, we're going to be more motivated to do it because we see people as people in desperate need of the mercy of God. Let's pray that he would help us to see our need for his mercy and the need of his peoples for that same mercy. Let us pray. Father, we come before you and as we do, we know that, that we fall short, that we are in need of your mercy. Lord, as we, we look at those that you place in our lives and in, in the lives of, of all of us gathered here tonight, and we think about what we've looked at these past weeks about the different ways that you gift your body, would you help us to see the people around us as those in need of mercy? So that whatever gifts you may give us, whatever abilities you might allow us to possess, that you would help us to see how we are fulfilling the very calling that you've given us. And how deeply spiritual it is to, to show mercy even in physical need. Because you don't care just for a part of us, you care for all of us. And, and you don't care for just those that you've already brought into your kingdom, you care for each person you've made. Lord, would you help us to share the care that you have? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, I believe what we're going to see is the capstone to our journey. And Paul, as he wraps it up, uses this term mercy. It, it, it's arguably the only place that you'll find it in Scripture where this particular word is being used in the sense of us as human beings showing mercy, as opposed to God showing mercy to us. I think that should tell us something about how we frame this. If this word is always being used for how God expresses himself to us, then when we see it being applied to how we live, it tells us we already have a model for how we should do it. We look to Jesus. We look to how he has shown mercy to us to understand how we show mercy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Peter is talking about this very thing in, in discussing the calling that we have as the people of God. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as Peter says this, he wants us to understand, as we see ourselves as the body, as we enjoy the relationships we have in the church and, and how God has brought us together, whatever it is about being here tonight, whatever it is that's a part of being the body of Christ, if, if you already are, that you enjoy, or or if you're not, you're looking in and you're saying, I, I'd love to have a group of people that, that cared so much for, for me, they would, they would pray for me, they would walk through challenges in life with me. I, I would like those things. I would like to have all those people walking alongside me, encouraging me as I struggle to understand who this God that you're talking about, so if, if that's what you're thinking. What we, we understand is that the fact that this body exists, that there is a church, that we can be talking about the body of Christ and all these different gifts, that is a sign of God's mercy. As we see that, it's, it's not something separate. It's right at the heart of it. 
this mercy that we need. That's something that is a universal need. It's not some of us need mercy. Some of us may feel like we need less mercy and we see other people needing more. But, but here's the simple thing that we know from Scripture. All of us need so much mercy that we'd be totally lost without it. That's what really matters. And so God pours that mercy into our lives. And as he pours that mercy into our lives, we exist as a church because of it. The church is a people of mercy. That's who we are. And so as we seek to, to follow the one who formed us as the church, we find that he shows mercy. That's the character of the one who made us and, and calls us and gathers us. What does biblical mercy look like? Well, there were people throughout Jesus's earthly ministry that called out to him, cried out saying, have mercy on us. And if we look at how he interacts with them, it gives us somewhat of a sense. Take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, if you've read through Matthew before, if you're familiar with stories like this that we find in the Gospels, where we normally focus is on the miracle itself. Isn't it amazing? Jesus heals a blind man, heals two blind men. That, that's an amazing thing. And, and we should pay attention to that. But it's really crucial that we understand the whole interaction there. And it starts with those blind men knowing that Jesus is there. They can't see him, but they know he's there. And what do they do? They cry out, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, as they do that, for one, they are trying to get Jesus's attention, but they're using a title and not just any title. They're using the title of the Messiah. And in, in other words, here are the, the earliest folks to actually recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Lots of people aren't going to get that for a very long time. Many will never get that. But these two blind men, physically blind, aren't spiritually blind. They, they see it. They cry out to him. Now, Jesus could, we could read, he had great pity on them. He felt really bad for them. And he said to Peter, hey, Peter, look under a rock there. And there's going to be some gold bars. You can grab those, give it to them. And someone can take care of them for the rest of their lives. Well, that would have been nice. Or he could have said, good job, guys. You know who I am. You know who I am. And so someday you're going to be blind for now, but someday you're going to have sight and that's going to be really great for you someday. Good job. And then moved on. Now, what does Jesus do? Here you have this profound theological statement coming from these men, recognizing who Jesus is. And Jesus' response is to, to come right into the very physical need that they have. Here are two, two people that are going to have to spend their lives, have spent their lives up to this point, begging because there, there aren't social safety nets out there right now to in this time period to, to help them if they can't see. They're, they're dependent on people tossing a coin or two or some food to them every once in a while. That's where they're at. And Jesus sees their, their needs. He has the power as the Savior, of course, to do far more than we can do, but he goes to what he can do for them, and he does it for them. So it's not just an emotional thing. Does he respond with mercy? Yes. Do we assume, and rightly so, I believe, that Jesus has great compassion for them in this? Yes, we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus has emotion. 
the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity has an emotion that isn't somehow missing from God. He's not a Vulcan. But, but what do we find here? We find that even though Jesus has mercy in an emotional sense, it's so much more than that. And so mercy, when we're being told that we're a people of mercy, like Peter says, when he's saying that's the, the cornerstone of being the church, Peter's thinking back to situations like this that he saw. And he's thinking about that, and he's thinking about what we actually can do for people. Paul, as he refers to being those with gifts of mercy in his list of different gifts, he, again, he's thinking about all these different ways that people can serve. He's not talking about someone who sits over in the corner and feels really bad for people. He's talking about people who are moved by the needs of people to go serve people. And, and so we see this beautiful picture here of how the Christian church should work. We're a, a people that confess who Jesus is, just like these blind men. The theological is important. Jesus isn't just going around healing people and making sure they don't have any clue who he is. No, he's allowing them to, to gather information and learn who he is. The fact that he heals these blind men after they make that confession is actually a way of him affirming what they said, because if God is working in someone or if God himself is present, he's not going to to respond to a request that that falsifies information, that, that turns people away from his truth. No, so when Jesus heals them, he's making a theological point in response, but he's not only making a theological point. If we're purely making theological points, if we're purely speaking truth, we're not doing enough. We're purely doing kind things for people, but we're not actually bringing the truth. We're not doing enough. That's the theme we've seen throughout this whole series, and it comes right back squarely in mercy. Mercy is bringing the truth in a way that actually helps people. In, and it helps them have the correct view of life, but also helps them to live life. And so oftentimes, and commentators, as they've wrestled with what Paul has in mind in this last gift that he, he lists in Romans 12, it's not a complete list, but this is a list of things that Paul thought was important enough to, to pull out and say, here are things that, that God is going to gift the church to do, that, that he really wanted us to be aware of these gifts. That given the way that it's structured and, and so on, Paul is thinking in terms of how do we care for, for the sick, for the poor. And, and we've talked about those who have a gift of giving. Sometimes a person has access to resources and they choose to give those resources. But then there might be someone else who has a, a really strong gift to know how to take those resources and bring them into the lives of people who need mercy. The person understands what the people are going through has wisdom and how to discern need and so on and so forth. I, I've known people like that. You've probably known people like that, that they may not be the world's best fundraiser. They may not be the world's wealthiest person. They may not be a bunch of things, but they, they certainly know with whatever they're given stewardship over how to use it to bless people in need the best. That's probably part of what Paul has in mind. But not only that, if we think about God's mercy on us, that's where we started, and that's where the word mercy normally comes up in Scripture. It helps us to understand this better. Does God give to our physical needs? Absolutely. What physical thing do we have? What breath in our bodies do we have except for God's mercy? 
But does God's mercy also entail salvation and the fact that when we sin and we, we run from him, he calls us back and he restores us and he enables us to be his? Absolutely. It's, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And this picture of mercy is right here. It's very practical and it's very tied to the truth as well, because the truth is practical. And what is practical is part of truth. We, we don't want to separate those two out. Now, one area we run into trouble with this is we think, well, okay, well, Tim, you talked a few weeks ago about teachers and how God has gifted them. We talked at the beginning, well, if someone's a prophet or, or speaks in tongues or has some kind of other really special, miraculous type gift, well, we know that that person is gifted for the body of Christ. If, if someone has great resources, giving them to the church and giving them to missions and giving them to all this, well, that person, clearly God's given them these resources. They're using them wisely. But what about me? I, I'm I'm just an accountant. I'm just a construction worker. I, I'm just an artist. I'm just a teacher at a, a secular school. I'm just this. I'm just that. And we, we put that just in there and we think, well, those other people have these great gifts. And it's really clear how those gifts work into the body of Christ. But here's the beautiful thing about how God uses us. We can't heal blind men like Jesus did. That's not how he normally works. But we can help people in need. And each of us is going to have something to offer. I love one commentator made the comparison of how God takes common ordinary utensils, tools to, to complete a job, and makes them holy for the use in his temple. We look at Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Baziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, to work every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, and the table, and its utensils, and the pure lampstands with all its utensils, and the altar of incense. And on, if we read through the Torah, it goes. All these things that need to be made. And some of them are simply referred to as utensils. Just things, tools, stuff that we wouldn't think of as particularly holy or important. And yet God has those things dedicated. And he gave very explicitly here people the gifts to make those things. It's not any different today. If you think about what gifts you have. Maybe you're a gardener. Maybe maybe you have great ability to to fashion buildings. You you've built homes for people. Maybe maybe you're an electrician or a plumber. Maybe you do any number of things. Each of these things is needed. Each of these things has an opportunity to show mercy to other people because why do we do these things? Well they're they're needed. They're simply needed. And we're going to run into people who need those gifts. And so just like in the Old Testament, when God gifted all these people with these gifts and then they used them to pour into people, to pour into the worship of God by providing the necessary tools to do it, so too today, 
Each of us has a gift. And the question is, am I going to use that in a merciful way? Now, that's not saying you, you quit your job and everything that you do has to be free. It's, that's not the point. But each of us, as we're in the body of Christ, is going to have a way to take what we may use for our livelihood and pour it into the people of God and the people beyond that may someday be the people of God. The key thing is our attitude about it. How are we seeing it coming out in our lives? And, and do we understand that that's a, a sacred vocation, that it's something that God is giving us? It's not merely something that we do to get along until we show up at church and do real spiritual work or something. And the key thing is to keep it tied to God's word. That's what infuses it with holiness. If you think about Jesus healing the blind men, yes, it's miraculous. So, so there's that. But healing of eyes isn't in itself necessarily something we'd normally label as spiritual. If, if you're an eye surgeon today, that's a wonderful thing. And I'm, I would imagine you've helped many, many, many people. But you might think, well, unless I go on the mission field and do it, I'm not doing anything spiritual. But every single day, you have the opportunity to minister to your patients and to help them and to guide them with wisdom and to show compassion to them when they're scared and so on and so forth. That is what God calls each of us to do. And every time we show mercy, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at church, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our home, what are we doing? We're doing God's work. We're rooted in his mercy. And how do we show that? How do we really bring that out? I, I think the second part of what Paul says in this list that we've been working through these weeks, the second thing he says on this particular part is really important. Notice I've highlighted it. He says, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's the attitude we should take when we do it. So just keep in mind for a second, as before we move on to the next slide, that we have three things here. We have the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads in zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So these last three gifts that Paul mentions, there's an attitude to each, and those come together. It, it completes, when we add in this cheerfulness as we show mercy, a, a triad of the important attitudes we should have, every believer should have. We should all be generous, we should all have zeal, and we should all work for our God with cheerfulness. And how amazing is it when we know someone, and this goes back to how God does gift certain people, especially in this. We know someone who is constantly showing compassion to other people and never complains about it. I'm not that person. I, I can complain with the best of them. But how good is that? And how much should we all aspire to be that, that? That we're not complainers. We're people who are so excited that God has gifted us and allowed us to serve in whatever way it is that it doesn't even strike us to complain. Now, this side of, of God's presence, none of us are probably going to reach that perfectly. Even the most cheerful person is going to have a day where he or she needs to complain. But we look to our God as the model of this, and we think about what God does. And, and what we see is that he invites us to come and to receive his mercy. And when he does, we don't get a response, well, I guess I'll help you. Don't really want to. No, what do we find? We find the God who represents himself in the parable of the prodigal sons as the father that rushes out in an, an embarrassingly fast way to go and greet his son. That's our God. The, the shepherd who 
who leaves the 99 sheep and rescues the one. That's our God. And if that is who our God is, then how much more if we're going to claim to be his and, and seek to be his and seek to proclaim his name into the world, how much more is that what we aspire to? We may not always get there. That's where we're trying to go. And in that, we see a tradition that stretches far back before the New Testament. Sometimes we think about mercy and grace as a New Testament thing. We think about cheerfulness and joy as a New Testament thing. Here are all these people solemnly completing ceremonies and hoping that God doesn't smite them in the Old Testament, and then we get to something better in the New Testament. But if you really look at the details of the Old Testament, it's not any different in that way. When the people really got who God was and who God is, it wasn't that way. We're starting a new series next week I'll talk about in a moment, and it goes right to the heart of that. We come to God with cheerfulness, with joy, because we know that he is good. And the rabbis reflecting over the years, long before Jesus came, when they talked about, for example, giving, they talked about giving cheerfully. Paul refers to that in 2 Corinthians. But we see all this tradition on that. The idea of serving other people cheerfully, that's a, a, a idea that's very much interwoven in being God's people from the get-go. And the Israelites forgot it. Later on, the, the peoples of Israel and Judah forgot it, and the church forgets it. But that's our calling. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 once again. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the verse right before the one we referred to earlier from Peter, where he talks about us being a people of mercy. What is it that we're representing to the world? Because that's what priests do. They represent something. They mediate something. We're representing God's mercy to the world. So we want people to actually see it. And, and one challenge is that when we don't do it cheerfully, when we show compassion, but we're grumbling the whole time, and oftentimes that can turn into we're making sure the person that we're showing mercy to knows that we're unhappy doing it. We obscure that mercy. We're not showing what it looks like when God's showing us mercy. We're showing a very human, sinful side of ourselves. And we're going to do that, friends. It's unavoidable. But, but let's aspire to the calling here. Because all that mercy that God has given us and all that mercy he empowers us to give when we, when we do it with grumbling and resentment, we're hiding the beauty of it. So much better when you can see things. I read read an interesting article this week about pickles. I love pickles. I love dill pickles. I love all kinds of different varieties of interesting pickles, hot pickles, sweet pickles. If you talk about pickles, I probably love those pickles. Pickles are wonderful things. They make burgers delicious. They they look just wonderful on the side of barbecue. Nice dill pickle spear, hot sweet pickle, just I love pickles. And if you think about pickles, what do we find them in normally? We find them in glass jars, typically. You go to the store and you go into the, the aisle that has condiments and you find the pickle section and there's just rows upon rows of glass jars where the main thing you see happens to be pickles. Not pictures of pickles, you see pickles. Now, an interesting thing that this article pointed out was that while that's true, we're still used to, on most products, the product saying what it is. But take a look at this pickle jar here. Notice something about it. 
Well, it says that it's kosher dill holes, but you're not going to see anywhere on that package that it says that it is a pickle. And someone brought this up on the internet and some people decided to research it. And many pickle companies don't actually use the word pickle on their product. Feels kind of weird, doesn't it? If you think about even Kleenex, the article pointed out, you, you buy a box of Kleenex brand tissues and it says Kleenex brand tissues, yet pickles often just have a description of what kind they are. They don't use the word pickle. Why not? Well, some of the companies responded and, and the answer seemed to be, well, because you can see it. Here's this jar and you look at this jar and if you don't know what it is, the word pickle isn't going to help you. You see our pickly goodness by looking at the jar. Now, the problem for us as Christians is sometimes we want to stick people of mercy on our jar. We want to say, we're a people of mercy. We're here. We're showing our gifts. We're ready to serve. How much better when people actually just look at the jar and they see the pickly goodness? And that's our calling. Whether you're called to teach, whether you're called to service, whether you're called to contribute, whether you're called to lead, whatever you're called to do, and every single person here tonight is called to do something, whatever it is, let's show that pickly goodness. Let's show that mercy that God has given us to be so soaked in it that just like those pickles are in that pickling solution and clearly pickles, let's have people see us and clearly be a people of mercy because we are a body of mercy. That's why we're formed. That's why we're called. That's why we serve. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we pray that you'd make us pickles. We pray that you'd make us so clearly what we are. People shown mercy by you. That in the very acts that we do day in and day out, people would know that we are people of mercy. That when we speak, when we build, when we think, when we study, when we live, whatever we do, Lord, that people would look. They would see your mercy just soaked into us and, and pouring out of us towards them. Lord, please make us a people of mercy and help us to start by that truth that we have received your grace. That we would hold on to that today. Whether today is day one of knowing that or day 10,000 of knowing that, that we would not let go of the fact that you have shown us mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am so glad that we got to go through this series together, looking at how God works through his body. And I hope that you will consider sharing this video. Maybe share the whole series, encourage someone who's trying to think, do I really have anything to serve? Do I have any purpose? Help them to see that they are called to be a part of God's pickle jar, to be those who serve with mercy. And so if you give this a like, you give it a share, you leave a comment, you email it to somebody, you invite them over to watch it with you. Every time you do something like that, you're helping to pour some of that mercy pickling onto somebody else and helping them to experience it. So I hope that you will do that. Also consider inviting someone to come and join us for our next series. God reigns in the rain. We're going to continue. We've been going through a few Psalms every year on Steadfast. We're going to turn to Psalm 5. We've already looked at the first four. We're going to turn to Psalm 5 next week and look at how David has confidence in God's control, his reign, even when it's not going so well for David. And in that, we're going to be encouraged because we're going to see whatever we face in life, whatever challenges that we are wrestling with right now, we have 
reason to be confident too. Whatever you might be going through right now, if you could use prayer, if you have questions, feel free to shoot me a text at the texting line, 833-356-4032, or leave a comment in the comments below. It is great to hear from you. It's great to get to pray for you. Please do join us for the prayer walk this coming Thursday, August 24th. It would be wonderful to have you be a part of that. It's live streaming all day. You do not want to miss it. I promise you, you will not regret being a part of that. And I hope you have a blessed week in the meantime.